Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Kathy Hanoon to the show. Kathy Hanoon is the co-founder and president of Dandelion Energy, the largest residential geothermal company in the United States. Dandelion transitions homeowners from fossil-fueled to geothermal heating and cooling using their custom geothermal drilling suite and Dandelion Air heat pump. Before founding Dandelion, Hanoon was a rapid evaluator at X, Alphabet's innovation lab, where she focused on finding moonshots, i.e. business opportunities to harness technology for large-scale positive impact. Since she initiated Dandelion as an X project and then launched it into an independent startup company in May 2017, Dandelion has since raised millions in funding from top venture capitalists, set a new standard for geothermal quality and cost-effectiveness, and empowered homeowners to avoid over 100 million pounds of carbon emissions and counting. In February 2021, Dandelion announced a 30 million Series B funding round led by Breakthrough Energy Ventures. Kathy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Kathy, thank you for joining. Kathy, where are you currently located? I'm talking to you from San Carlos, California. How's the weather? And where is San Carlos? San Carlos is not so far from San Francisco International Airport. So it's maybe like a half hour south of there. So before you tell me the weather, let me guess it's 65 year round. (laughs) How did you know, Raj? <laughs> I've had a few guests from SF on the show, and I did a project in in San Jose for four months, and it was the same thing as like Groundhog Day. Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty nice place to be. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, Kathy, I like to open the show by asking my guests the following question: If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Well, I think in the context of um, being a founder and Dandelion, one interesting thing might be that I never anticipated or planned to be an entrepreneur or to start a company. Tell me more about that. Well, first of all, um, I think I, like many people, just had no idea how you would even go about doing that. Um, You know, how do you build a company how do you, what does it even entail to start a company? I didn't really know anyone at, you know, for most of my life who had, who had done that. And, um, so it just never really crossed my mind. It was, it was only when, um, I was employed at Google and learning more and more about heat pumps and their potential and their promise and becoming more and more sort of compelled by them, uh, that I started to think, you know, the best way to push heat pumps forward is it's increasingly looking like starting a company in the space and no one, 
the only way that I can see to do that is to just do it. So maybe I should just do that. And uh, it was actually kind of a scary thought at the time because I knew it would be very hard and I didn't really know how to do it. But I knew I was starting to become really sure that I think I wanted to. So you took the leap. You're building your wings on the way down. Mm -hmm. You started Dandelion Energy. Can you share with the audience more about Dandelion Energy and your role at the organization? Absolutely. So Dandelion Energy is a startup that I co-founded in 2017 with a mission to make geothermal heating and cooling for houses way more affordable and just easy to do than it had been in the past. And what geothermal heating and cooling is, it's a way of actually making use of the renewable thermal energy that's just in the ground, um, wherever you are, and using that energy to heat and cool your house in a very, very cost-effective way. So it's a replacement for fossil fuels like natural gas or fuel oil or propane that people typically use to heat their homes. Now, you mentioned heat pumps and geothermal. You know, working at Google, I'm sure there were other, um, let's just call them more attractive um, opportunities. What about geothermal just drew you to it? The thing about geothermal that really drew me in was... It's a way of heating and cooling your house that's actually a lot less expensive than using fossil fuels. And so there's just this really nice alignment between the homeowner's financial incentive and what was best for society. So this like clean, renewable heating and cooling source. And that's actually very rare. Um, I think typically with renewable energy, there's a premium associated. And so just the fact that people could save so much money by doing, you know, using renewable energy in this way, it struck me as a huge opportunity. Do you know why we haven't been using more geothermal, why we've been using, you know, conventional air conditioning and heating? Yes. There's two main reasons. So one is, even though running the geothermal system is the cheapest way to heat and cool your house, and it has been, for decades, actually getting that system installed in the house to begin with has been very expensive in the past. And so we needed to find a way to make that initial installation of the system way more affordable. So that was number one. And number two is not only was it expensive, it's also it's just like very difficult and kind of onerous. Um, you, as a homeowner, you would have had to work with a few different companies to get everything into place. You might actually have to know quite a bit about design and HVAC systems to make sure you got a high quality system. And like very few people know about those things. And um, there just aren't a lot of suppliers out there. So, you know, both the money and sort of the effort that would have to go into it made it just not realistic for, for many homeowners. And how is Dandelion doing it differently? So we have um, done quite a few things, really, to try to take this difficult, expensive project and make it just like very simple and affordable for homeowners. Everything from just like bringing it all under one roof so Dandelion can just handle all of it and homeowners don't have to be experts in HVAC to get a great system, to um, we have really pioneered the use of smaller 
more residential friendly drilling methods to um, to get those ground loops in the ground. And we can talk more about what a geothermal system consists of so I can put those ground loops into context. We're also creating heat pumps. So the actual equipment that lives in the house that are um, really designed for that residential use case, they have monitoring so the homeowner can see how they're performing and know for sure that they got a really high quality system. And they're also designed to be way more affordable so that, you know, the homeowner can not pay an exorbitant amount for the system up front, but instead pay a very reasonable amount and then save a lot of money over time. So we really had to approach the problem from a lot of different angles in order to solve that affordability and simplicity objective. Now, you did mention ground loops. Can you get tactical for a moment and share with the audience how a heat pump works and how it's different from conventional? Absolutely. So the way a heat pump works is it move. it's a mechanical, it's a vapor compression refrigeration system. So it's a, um, it's a piece of equipment that uses electricity to move heat from one place to another. And it's the way I've just described it makes it sound a little bit exotic, but these systems are actually very common and ubiquitous. So like your air conditioner is an example of a heat pump. And your refrigerator is an example of a heat pump. So like both of these examples, they're plugged in, so they use electricity, but then um, they move heat out of your house or out of your refrigerator to make that space cooler. So for a geothermal heat pump, it's also plugged in, it uses electricity, and it it can move heat out of your house into the ground, so kind of acting as an air conditioner would. But it can also move heat from the ground into your house, thereby warming your house. And the thing that makes geothermal so cost-effective and so inexpensive is the ground is always at a steady sort of mild temperature, which is why caves are always kind of cool but not cold, the same temperature year-round. And so it's very it doesn't take that much electricity to move heat either out of the ground or into the ground. Um And so you just don't have to spend that much money to do it. And so you're able to move a lot of heat using only a little bit of electricity. Um, And the way you actually move heat into and out of the ground is by using what are called ground loops. And they're just simple plastic pipes. They're buried in the ground underneath your yard. You can't see them. They're about inch and a quarter in diameter, so not too um, wide, but they extend on average, about 370 feet down into the yard. So they're quite deep. And a typical home will have one or two of these. And they just circulate um, water with a small amount of glycol antifreeze um, in a closed loop. So this water just endlessly circulates, either bringing heat into your house for heating in the winter or rejecting heat into the ground in the summer. Do the ground loops ever leak? It's very uncommon um, because the water is circulating in sealed plastic pipes and those pipes are encased in grout and that um, grouted pipe is within this hole in the ground uh, and it's all sealed. So I don't want to say it's impossible, like I'm sure it has happened, but we've in all the hundreds of installations we've done to date... um, a ground loop leaking in the ground has not happened. So it's a it would be a very rare 
way for the system to fail. But, you know, never say never. I'm sure um, <laughs> it's possible. It's just like not a huge risk. The ground loop, the function reminds me of how Freon works, works in a conventional air conditioning. Is that correct? The ground loop would be the equivalent of the outdoor compressor in an air conditioning system. So that um, sort of loud box that sits outside your house for your air conditioner, that is exchanging heat with the air or pushing heat into the air outside. And um, so that, you know, that box outside your house has that heat exchanger in it for your air conditioner. These ground loops are kind of that heat exchanger, but they're just buried in the ground. Um, so the Freon part of your air conditioner is really that refrigerant within your air conditioner. And we have that as well in our system, but it would be located in the heat pump, which is typically in your basement. Now, can you retrofit from conventional air conditioning to a heat pump? Absolutely. And, you know, 99% of the work Dandelion does is retrofitting homes that have been using, you know, fuel oil furnaces or boilers, taking those out, putting this geothermal system in, and then it serves both heating and air conditioning. But yes, absolutely, you can retrofit a home that has more conventional equipment with with a geothermal system. And are you doing projects nationwide? We're not. So today, Dandelion is available in New York and Connecticut. And we're um, very soon going to be available in Vermont and Massachusetts. So we're con- we're focused on the Northeast. I think like we have aspirations, of course, to be available nationwide and potentially even internationally in the future. But um, we keep a tight focus on our geography just because quality control and being able to make sure every installation is of the highest quality is so important to the company. And so we don't want to grow any faster than we can ensure that that quality remains as, you know, in top condition. Why did you start with the Northeast? We started with the Northeast because people spend the most money on heating and cooling there. So it's it was really the market where we we could see that homeowners would get such a huge benefit from being able to switch to geothermal. And, you know, one of the reasons people spend a lot of money in the Northeast is just because it gets very cold, right? So you actually have to heat quite a bit in the winter and then cool um, in the summer, certainly not as much cooling needed as heating. But the other reason is um, fuel oil is a very common way of heating your home in the Northeast, millions and millions of homeowners use fuel oil. It has to be delivered by truck to like a tank in your basement or in your yard. The home I grew up in, in New Hampshire, used fuel oil. It's just like very common. So fuel oil, not only is it super expensive, but it's also just a pain and like kind of gross to use. And so a lot of homeowners using fuel oil wish that there was a better alternative for them. And we're able to provide that with geothermal. So it was just like, you know, that combination of homes that need a lot of heat and they only have this option that a lot of people don't like that much made it a really good place to pioneer affordable geothermal systems. Well, it sounds like a good product market fit. Mm-hmm. One last one last question about the system. Can it work on multifamily? Absolutely. So 
Dandelion doesn't serve multifamily today. That's just a decision we made as a startup that needs to focus. Um, so we really s- specialize in single family, but geothermal as a technology is, yes, it's completely suited to multifamily. Other companies do serve that use case. Um, and I think it's, you know, geothermal can be used for most building types. St. Patrick's Cathedral, for example, in Manhattan uses geothermal for heating and cooling. So it's pretty broadly applicable. Very interesting. And I'm going to switch gears here. First, I'm going to congratulate you on the raise earlier this year, the fundraising, Bill Gates Breakthrough Energy Ventures. That was phenomenal news. But Thank you. When I was doing research for the show, I came across something very interesting in an interview. It was about fundraising as a woman, and you were open to speaking about fundraising as a woman while you were expecting. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I've fundraised now a few times while, while pregnant with my two children. And it's it was kind of a unexplored, like I didn't really know there weren't, there wasn't a lot of predefined etiquette around it for me to follow. So I think, um, like many things you have to do as an entrepreneur, I had to forge my own path and really just like figure out what I wanted to do as I went along. But I think the challenge is, especially in the early rounds before your company has a lot of data to show for itself, a lot of what you're selling to investors is your idea, but also yourself. Like you're you're really trying to make the case this opportunity is meaningful and I'm the right person to realize this opportunity and, and create value. And that's a like pretty intangible thing, right? It's pretty subjective. And so I think a lot of the fear that I had was being a pregnant woman, it's like it seemed to me that that was more likely to decrease confidence of investors that I would be the right person to take on this opportunity than if I were a not pregnant woman or a man, which obviously was not, neither of those things were possible. Like I just was a pregnant woman, but like that was my fear. So whether or not it was true, that was, um, that was sort of the anxiety that I had is like, you know, it's already so hard for every entrepreneur to to fundraise. Um, so like I'm just stacking the odds against myself through my identity and the fact that I'm pregnant right now. And it was just hard to know how to cope with that in the best way. Something you said during one of your other interviews really jumped out at me. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. It was about not wanting to put life on hold while you built your company. Can you speak to that? Yes. So when I started Dandelion, it was around the same time that I wanted to to start my family to have a child. And of course, um, my husband and I talked about that because it's not the most conventional decision to start a company and get pregnant at the same time. But I think the challenge for me was, you know, in the success scenario that I wanted to plan for, I knew dandelion would occupy a lot of me for many years, right? Like I um I hoped that it would be a demanding and challenging and like, you know, a project that I would pour myself into for the foreseeable future. And so 
it was hard to see how I could fit having like there was no time. They they say already there's no right time to have a baby, but I feel like that was even more true in the situation of starting a company where there was just going to be no time if things went well that it was really convenient to have a baby. And I I knew in the downside scenario where you know it was possible I could start dandelion and maybe it wouldn't work out. And I just wanted to. I thought about like how would I feel if I put having kids on hold for a few years and dandelion didn't work out and then not, you know, it'd be a sort of a double tragedy for me. So I thought, you know, given those two things, I'm just going to do it and figure out, I have to figure out so many challenging things with having, starting this company anyway. I know it will not make things easier to have this baby at the same time, but like, I'm just going to do it. And that way um, I won't have this like possibility of a deep regret in my personal life, uh, regardless of what happens with the company. Well, I admire you for making that decision. I've known so many entrepreneurs that have put quote unquote life on hold to pursue, you know, businesses, startups, and sometimes they make it, sometimes they fail, but they can't recoup those years that they've actually put on hold. So I hats off to you for doing that. It's definitely um, a hard decision. Like I think I'm, I'm glad that I made the decision I made, of course, but, but it certainly did have its drawbacks. And, you know, like in those early years, I did think about if I didn't have a baby, it would have been easier to spend those late nights to like work all the time, right? I was forced to not do those things as much as I would have. And there is a cost. So I think I think it's the same problem we experience across our whole society where it's not really designed to support families with two working parents and there's not a lot of infrastructure there. So it's a struggle that a lot of parents go through. And I think just given the demands of a startup, it just brings the same conflicts into into this into bright lights, right? When you're trying to balance family with work. It absolutely does. And I know there's some conversations going on today that are getting louder about creating a better safety net for both men and women, you know, when it comes to parenting and families. And I really hope that conversation continues to grow. Me too. I think it would it would just allow allow parents to, I think, enjoy parenthood in the earlier so much more to have more support. And also probably we would see more women going and starting companies and doing, you know, taking risks in their thirties and while, while they're, you know, in these times in life that are so career oriented too, because it really is not easy to, to do both right now, just because there isn't really a lot of support. I agree wholeheartedly. So back to Dandelion for a moment. The name says nothing about energy. Mm-hmm. How did Dandelion come to be? Yeah. So one of the perks of starting your company at a place like Google is all the amazing resources that we had access to that we would never have had access to if we were um, you know, a typical startup. And so one of those things was we worked with a professional namer to come up with what we wanted to call this company. And one of the things that we thought a lot about was a lot of heating and cooling companies out there, they have very literal names. So 
you know, like Kathy's Geothermal Heating and Cooling Company would be a pretty typical name for um, a company in our space. Of course, we wanted it to be to feel much more um, modern and different and just something new. And so Dandelion was my favorite just because I think it's a very familiar word. It feels residential to me because dandelions show up in yards and um, dandelion is a t- has a tap root. So the root of the flower looks a little bit like one of our ground loops. And um, I guess la- the last thing I thought was nice about dandelions is they change with the seasons. So sometimes they are yellow and then sometimes there's those puffy white balls. And I kind of liked how it was just the seasonal residential familiar thing, just like I want our systems to be. I've been a fan of the dandelion flower for a while now. And what I like about it for years is that, you know, it, it puts so much faith into its spores as they get blown away <laughs> and they have no idea where, you know, where they'll land, where they'll germinate, what will happen, but they just go. And when I was reading about your company, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's, it's a great name for a company because like you mentioned earlier, you're in the Northeast right now, maybe one day nationally, one day internationally. So as you grow and your spores grow out into the world, who knows what difference you'll make. I love that analogy. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Of course. So again, let's go back to Google for a moment. The crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. So you were attracted to heat pumps and geothermal. Okay, I'll buy some of that. But I feel like there's got to be something deeper. So what's your why? What motivates you and what keeps you going? What I love and what really inspires me is to think about um, how could we do XYZ thing in the world better, right? Super at a super high level. It's like envisioning a different approach to a problem and then trying to figure out how to actually implement it. And I love focusing that problem solving um, energy on energy and climate because um, I've just been drawn to, to climate for a long time now, I think partly because I got to grow up in New Hampshire, sort of surrounded by nature. And I think also because I always have really loved science and technology does seem to me like one of the primary tools at our disposal for solving the climate challenge. It's There are a lot of problems in this world that are really important where I don't think technology is the primary tool for solving them. For example, like world hunger, I feel like it used to be, right? There was the green revolution and that made a huge difference. But now I think there's a lot of politics or like social tools that can be really helpful, maybe not as much technological tools. Those already exist. Whereas for energy, I do think right now there's just so much room to advance technology to really have an impact on on climate change. So anyway, I'm I'm drawn to climate. I'd like to employ science to figure out how can we do things better and really approach problems in new ways. And um, with geothermal, it was just like that thrill of finding a really elegant solution, right? I think just seeing here's a technology that already exists. 
there are just a few things that we have to like modify or change or stretch about how this is done. And those levers could just have such a profound impact on how well the solution fits into society. And there's such a gaping, huge need for it. So it was like, um, so rewarding, right? Because you know, you could see the path to solving the problem. And if you solve the problem, it will have this huge impact. And that's really what drew me in. So from your days at Google, if I'm doing my math right, uh, 2017 to 21, that's four years or so, you've been on this journey, building this company, having children along the way. What are some of the most valuable lessons that you've learned on your journey? Hmm. I think all of the lessons that I'm going to say to you are not going to be breaking news by any means, but what I have found is living the lesson can feel very different from hearing it. Um, So, you know, some of the things that just really I've learned the hard way over and over again. So one is I think who you hire onto the team, it's just, there's no decision you can make that will make a bigger difference to the outcome of the company. So spending a lot of time on really defining the person you're looking for, like what do they need to be able to do? What qualities do they need to have? Where would you find somebody like this? Really trying to go after the best people you can possibly convince to join your company and then putting a lot of effort into the hiring and recruiting process, all of that pays so many dividends forever. And, you know, if you have the best people, it's so much more likely that you'll be successful, right? So that that definitely, I'm such a huge believer in that now. And it seems obvious, but like, I think just the level of impact it has still surprised me. Number two is at Google, I'd, I'd never needed to be nearly as focused as I have needed to be at Dandelion. So this was a shift that I needed to make in my own approach because Google isn't resource constrained in, in the same ways that a startup is. So at Google, money was not really an issue. Obviously, to some extent it was, but not really. Um, and like the real constraint was time. So there's huge opportunity cost at Google. So you want to make sure that you're not wasting time on things that don't matter because you could be doing other things that could, you know. So that was always the trade-off was time. But at Dandelion, like most startups, the we were severely resource constrained. And so just being able to say no to almost everything and just have a few things that you focus on was so important. And it's like everything from saying no to conferences and speaking opportunities and like that sort of thing in the founder world that can be distracting, but also saying no to multifamily buildings and like partnerships that are, would be amazing, but very unlikely to work out or like, you know, just really defining so narrowly what the priorities are and then just being disciplined about just sticking to those things. I think that was, that was a little hard because I think as an entrepreneur, I like, I like seeing all the opportunities and exploring them. So I had to really overcome that and just focus and have better intuition around when is an opportunity worth being distracted for and making sure that was very 
infrequent. Hmm. Um, and then I guess um, the the last thing I'd say is I do think one of the key things about being a successful entrepreneur has been that combination of very open-minded and optimistic and sort of um, creative around the possibilities and what you believe the future will look like paired with just this like ruthless pragmatism around um, making the business work and being focused and not taking risks that are too risky. <laughs> like, uh, uh, let me give an example. So, um, at, you know, we had to, I had to, I, I think I started dandling being good at the first part, sort of like having my vision of what geothermal could become. But then along the way, I really had to learn so much more about like, how do we price these systems well so that we're actually making enough money as a company how do we like build our sales funnel and track it in a way to allow us to optimize it? How do we not depend on policies falling our way, but sort of insulate the company assuming that they don't fall our way, right? It's like you have to be positive in the long term, but like kind of paranoid and negative in the short term and balance those two things within yourself. Sounds a lot like de-risking decisions. Yeah, that's probably a more concise way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you mentioned focus, you mentioned, you know, what the future would look like. Let's go into the future. It's 2030, magic wand. If Forbes or Business Week were to write a headline about Dandelion, what would you like it to read? Well, I think I'd like that headline to read something like, I'd certainly want new homes being constructed have heat pumps right? It's like we should not continue to build homes that have fossil fueled heating because homes last for a really long time and we know we want renewable energy. So certainly by 2030, I would want new homes to have heat pumps, um, ideally dandelion heat pumps. And then I think, I think I'd also want the headline to be something like, homeowners replacing that need to replace their heating systems are replacing with heat pumps, right? Like I think every homeowner has to make a decision when their heat heating system breaks, what, what do they buy to replace it with? And I think increasingly over time, we'll see people choose heat pumps. I know those aren't very captivating headlines, but you know, but <laughs> they're the themes I'd want to surface, but they're very unselfish. You mentioned dandelion once, but you took a more holistic, broader view of the ecosystem. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about renewable energy and you, you talked about people having the option to and perhaps, you know, home builders providing the option to. So I really appreciate that. I really do. I, I am a mission-driven founder in the sense that my goal with dandelion is to decarbonize heating. And I know that the best way to do that is with heat pumps. And I'd like Dandelion to play a role in leading that transition in sort of, a, I mean, my role model company in this respect is Tesla. So Tesla's not the only company making electric cars. There's, you know, they've 
But I, I do think they get credit because their success in really showing how to make the most desirable, customer-friendly, just like aspirational electric vehicle has led the entire industry to embrace electric. And now all the major car manufacturers are headed in that direction. So it's like through their leadership, they've changed the entire industry. And I think we, I would, I mean, I would, it would be amazing if Dandelion could play a similar role with, um, with home heating. Well, I look forward to that coming to fruition. Last question, and you gave some advice earlier, but specifically, and this could be personal or professional, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? I would say um, if there's something, if you have a goal or something that you'd like to do, I would just encourage people to to just do it. And it sounds easy to say, I recognize that, but <laughs> there's no better way than throwing yourself in the deep end to really figure out um, to figure it out. And I think it's the only way in some sense, like in the same way that deciding to have a baby when I was starting a company, it was like, well, I'm just going to throw myself into this journey and figure it out as I go. I feel like the same was true about starting Tandelion to begin with. It was like, I have no idea how to start a company, but what's the first thing I need to do? I guess I'll just try it. Um, I think those things were both pretty hard for me at the time, but as you do that to yourself more and more, you kind of become more comfortable throwing yourself in the deep end like that. And it has served me well and sort of I've learned a lot by taking taking those risks and sort of just going for it. So that's what I would encourage and what I maybe would have liked to hear when I was on the <laughs> on the edge trying to decide like, should I take take these risks or or maybe not? And I'm gonna cheat a little and ask you a follow-up specifically. You know, if there's if there are female founders or potential founders listening, what advice would you give them? I think I would just say if you're afraid of like there's when I was thinking about starting Dandelion, I had a lot of self doubt and sort of like fear around what would happen. And it's easy to talk yourself out of doing things by listening to those fears. But I would just encourage you know, founders, potential founders, men or women to just try to not listen to fear too much, like go act according to what you want. Try to ignore the fear because the, everyone has that fear. Like it's just such a normal part of the experience. And just because you're afraid of what could happen if it goes wrong, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it or that you wouldn't be a great founder. It's just like, we don't talk about it that much, but I think 95% of founders would tell you, yep, that, that was true for me. Like I had that and I just had to push through it and ignore it. So that's what I would say. Kathy, I think ignore the fear is a great place to leave off. I've so enjoyed speaking with you. I look forward to the success of Dandelion Energy and catching up with you again soon. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com 
or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.